0: Closing argument. Walter Hudson.
1: Pursuing happiness. Thoughtfully. 8 to 10 weeknights on Twin Cities News Talk. AM 1130 and 1035 FM. So I realize that this is not the hottest story anymore. It's got a little bit of age on it. But we haven't really had a time or an opportunity to delve too deeply into it. And so I want to throw in my two cents on the continuing controversy involving the NBA and the Chinese regime vis a vis the Hong Kong protesters. Because I think this stands as a particularly instructive indication of where we're at as a culture. It, there is so much to say, so much to derive and discern as a result of observing this episode that has taken place ever since, Or was it, Daryl Morey, I think is the name of the guy, general manager of the Houston Rockets, if memory serves, put out a tweet. And again, if memory serves, it was very, very innocuous and simple. It was something along the lines of, stand for freedom. Stand with Hong Kong, or something along those lines. Fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. I think that's what it was. Which, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought before this controversy emerged that that would be particularly problematic for a general manager of an NBA team to tweet. But it, you would have thought that the guy came out for genocide. You would have thought that the guy came out for baby murder, but apparently that's not controversial nowadays, right? You would have thought that he came out for for steaming newborns in a stew and then chopping them up and feeding them to corporate fat cats like that. That's what you would have thought that he he had come out for. But no, he took a simple stand for freedom and for the protesters in Hong Kong who are, of course, fighting for their freedom. And it was it was like an apocalyptic event in the very very tiny sheltered bubble world of the NBA. And so I want to reflect upon this and reflect upon the responses to it and and try to derive uh, some sort of clarity regarding where we find ourselves in the American culture at this moment. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We are here 8 to 10 weeknights. Appreciate you being with us, Brianne, taking your calls. And producing the show, those calls can come in at 651-989-5855. So let's start by going back a week to a tweet that I got from a a lefty listener. And I do appreciate our lefty listeners. I appreciate your contributions. They sometimes go unacknowledged, and I apologize for that. We really should bring you guys to the forefront and and showcase the, the things you have to say. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce the first name, so I'll just go with Ms. Monroe. Ms. Monroe tweeted out about a week ago, tweeted this to both me and Andrew Lee from the morning show, Justice and Drew, and also to to Brad, who I guess must have been sitting in for, for Brianne at the time. The NBA censorship issue is weird. Suddenly, the NBA is to blame for not allowing free speech. But President Trump called for exactly that when certain NFL players chose to kneel. Can we maybe get some consistency here? speech greater than money maybe and i just found this tweet absolutely perplexing i i don't know what is it that you're comparing here it's certainly not apples to apples so let me let me try let me attempt to wind back my mental processes here and try to figure out what's being equated so you're saying that the mba objecting to a private private personal tweet from one of their general managers taking the side of protesters who are protesting their rights being violated by a tyrannical communist regime you're comparing that to Colin Kaepernick all right let's be specific to Colin Kaepernick taking a knee in the NFL as an american player during a game so the the first distinction here is Daryl Morey put out a tweet on his personal account on his own time completely outside of any venue or scope of the NBA, right? Like, the, the, the only association he has with the NBA is the fact that he's a general manager for a team, but he wasn't acting in that capacity when he put out this tweet on his personal account, right? And so that's what he did. By contrast... Colin Kaepernick conscientiously chose to hijack an NFL game, in the NFL proceedings, and knowing that all of the cameras are going to be there because of the game, not because of him or not because of his political opinions, but because of the game. And he chose to hijack that purpose in order to redirect attention to his political gripe, not with the tyrannical Chinese communist government, but with American police. Cops who are maintaining the rule of law here in the United States of America. So, I mean, on a couple of different levels, this is an apples and oranges—not even apples and oranges, because apples, apples and oranges are at least related in so much as they're both fruit. Okay, this is more like apples and coal, or apples and fairy dust. Right? It's—it's it's so completely different situations that it's insane that they would be compared to one another. On the one hand, you have a guy who's using his personal account to put out a tweet about a topic that has moral clarity, right? The communist regime of China is obviously evil and in the wrong. They are obviously oppressing the Hong Kong protesters. And to say you stand you want to fight for freedom and stand with them is to take the side of good and righteousness and moral correctness. By contrast, to to take advantage of the fact that Eyes and cameras and microphones are turned towards an NFL game to redirect that attention towards your political gripe with your own country, particularly when the moral credibility of that gripe is objectively in question. There's just no comparison here whatsoever. And yet, we're supposed to accept, as within the contents of this tweet, that it has to do with free speech. Free speech. Which is interesting because nobody at no point in either of these situations has free speech been at issue. Nobody has suggested to my knowledge that either Colin Kaepernick or Daryl Morell should be imprisoned or fined as a result of their political views or their political speech. That's what the freedom of speech refers to, is the ability to express your beliefs without fine or imprisonment by the state. That's what freedom of speech is. Now, perhaps, if I'm being a little bit generous with the tweeter here, perhaps she's referring to the cultural concept of freedom of expression, which, is, which has less to do with legal consequence and more to do with culture's tolerance of viewpoints that are outside the mainstream. Okay, fair enough. But even in that case, even in that case, nobody told Colin Kaepernick that he can't believe what he wants to believe about American police. Precisely, nobody said that, right? Nobody said he needs to change his opinion or that it's inappropriate for him to say what he believes about his opinion. What they object to specifically was hijacking an NFL game in order to express an opinion that's inappropriate within that context, right? And with with Daryl Morey, you know, if anybody has anything to complain about when it comes to freedom of expression, it's him because, again... He was acting completely outside of his official capacity as a general manager of an NBA team. And so there was, aside from the fact that he is a general manager for an NBA team, there was no direct association with his opinion. He wasn't hijacking the NBA or hijacking an NBA game or hijacking the NBA brand in order to draw attention to his opinion. He was expressing it on his own merit taking full responsibility for it. And yet the reaction was, he needs to shut up. So if anybody has a freedom of expression complaint here, this is the great irony of this particular comparison. If we're going to compare Colin Kaepernick to Daryl Morey, the person who has the freedom of expression complaint is Daryl Morey. Because there, there's precisely no reason to object to him expressing his opinion on his own Twitter account. There's no basis for, by which anybody gets to object to that. Now, you could disagree with it, you can argue against it, but you don't get to say that he was wrong to do so. And yet, that's precisely what the NBA did, and what many of the players and other stakeholders within the NBA did. They went further than that. According to the New York Post, this is a a, a piece that was put together by a John Schweppe, maybe pronouncing that wrong. He wrote, I've been an NBA fanatic as long as I can remember, Growing up, I rooted for the Minnesota Timberwolves, I was there for the Ups, who can forget that almost magical 2004 season, and all of the downs, of which there have been far too many. I still follow the team closely today. So, as a fan of the league, I was shocked when I found myself being censored at an NBA exhibition game Wednesday night, this is a couple of weeks back, in Washington, between the Washington Wizards and the Ginghaus Long Lions. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Now, I'm rethinking my allegiance to the league and whether I should stop attending or even watching games altogether. I decided to attend last night's game after reading about an incident that took place at a Philadelphia 76ers game this week. In Philly, security guards ejected two spectators for displaying small signs with messages of support for Hong Kong's pro-democracy dissidents. It was an unsettling sight, one of America's premier sports leagues, which consistently virtue signals about its values groveling to a totalitarian regime and censoring its own fans in the United States of America. In Philly, of all places, home of the Constitutional Convention and the Liberty Bell, I knew I had to do something. I wanted to test for myself whether the NBA would be so brazen as to censor fans again, this time in our nation's capital, no less. My friends and I entered Capital One Arena donning free Hong Kong T-shirts given to us by an activist outside the arena and with homemade signs concealed in our clothes. We took our seats shortly before the Chinese national anthem began to play. At that point, we stood up and unfurled a long Free Hong Kong banner. That immediately attracted the attention of several security guards who came over to confiscate our sign. We asked why they were having we were having our sign taken away. We were told, we respect your freedom of speech, but we don't have any stance on Hong Kong, so we're just asking not to have any signage related to that here tonight. Later, we unveiled a second message, a homemade sign that simply said, Google UGARS, referring to China's oppressed Muslims, more than half a million of whom are believed to have been kept in re-education camps. This sign, too, was deemed to be problematic. Within minutes, we were approached by security supervisors who told us that we were not allowed to make political statements about China at the game. My friend pleaded that we were simply seeking to educate some of the NBA officials, coaches, and players, many of whom had expressed ignorance about the issue. It was in vain. The supervisor still confiscated the sign and told us that if we continued to disrupt the game, we would be ejected. By then, we felt we had had enough and left our, of our own accord. And then he goes on to, to continue with his anecdote there. And listen, as a libertarian, as somebody who upholds the right of individuals and businesses to set their own rules for their own venues and to determine by what terms they shall engage in relationship, I wholeheartedly support the right of the NBA to decide what signage should be displayed within the stands of their games. I have no problem with them having the legal right to make that decision, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to allow them to proceed with the moral hypocrisy that they're displaying here without commentary. And indeed there is moral hypocrisy. How many NBA players have participated in or expressed sympathy with not just players, coaches, general managers, officials, owners, how many of of the NBA stakeholders have gone out of their way to express their political opinions about Donald Trump, or the American police, or Black Lives Matter, or fill-in-the-blank political issue. And so what you're what you're really indicating here is where your priorities lie, where your moral priorities lie as an organization. If you're all too willing and all too eager to criticize the American government and American police and to side with radical Marxists like Black Lives Matter against law and order, if you're willing to do that, But you you blush and you rush to censor when the fans in your audience put up a sign that says free Hong Kong. Then it occurs to me that, number one, your your pretense of caring about individual rights and individual freedom, which is what what that's what Black Lives Matter appeals to. Can we pause to appreciate this irony for a second? Black Lives Matter appeals to the concepts of liberty and individual rights. That's what they appeal to in their rhetoric. They don't believe in it at all. They don't stand for it at all. But that's what they appeal to because they know that's what works in the American culture. This is the, the the slim sliver of hope that we still have, is that in order to have success politically, you still have to at least pretend to care about liberty and individual rights. Black Lives Matter pretends to do so, and that's why they have met with the amount of success that they have. But in reality, clearly, anybody who claims to care about those things and yet blushes and balks and even condemns speaking out against China and their treatment of protesters in Hong Kong has revealed themselves to be a gross moral hypocrite. And, you know, hypocrisy is just the tip of the iceberg on this. We'll delve deeper into it when we return 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, com. Let's continue to revel in the hypocrisy of the NBA and its stakeholders here when it comes to their position on China and uh, any affinity with Hong Kong protesters in defiance of that vile, evil communist regime. I mean, is there anything simpler than siding with the Hong Kong protesters against China? They, they, you, you can't ask for greater moral clarity. There hasn't been moral clarity like this, perhaps since, I don't know, I'll have to think about it, but off the top of my head, since... I don't know, the Jews and the Nazis? And it's pretty clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, and yet we find ourselves in a situation where this uh, prominent, influential institution and its stakeholders, the NBA, is confused at best and antagonistic at worst toward those who are standing on the side of righteousness. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. There's a piece that gets down to it here at The Federalist. The NBA has received deserved criticism for caving to the demands of the Chinese government for or to preserve their business relationship, that being their motivation. Much of that criticism has focused on the NBA's perceived hypocrisy. The NBA has long positioned itself as the woke league. Teams wore warm-ups that supported Eric Garner. Their commissioner, Adam Silver, said he wanted players to be political and speak up for social inequities, as CNN reported. Silver said the sense of an obligation, social responsibility, a desire to speak up directly about issues that are important is something that's been passed down over the decades. It's part of being an NBA player. Silver said the league wants NBA players to be multidimensional people and fully participate as citizens. But after Houston Rockets General Manager Daryl Morey tweeted in favor of Hong Kong protesters jeopardized the NBA's business dealings in China, it is hard to see how speaking up about important issues is part of being an NBA player since no player spoke up in favor of democracy. James Harden certainly didn't look like a multidimensional person when he stared into the camera and declared his unequivocal love of China, like he was in a weird cult in which, instead of sex, the cult leader controls his members via shoe contracts. Days later, everyone in the NBA is saying exactly what China wants them to say. LeBron James, a person, who we're going to focus on a little bit here tonight, claimed Maury wasn't educated on the subject. After being called out by Trump for being too scared to criticize China, coaches Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr fought back not by saying anything critical of China or supportive of the Hong Kong protesters, but by criticizing Trump and AR-15s. The NBA's embrace of Chinese censorship is understandably drawn comparisons to the NFL's debacle with Colin Kaepernick. But such comparisons are unfair because the NBA is doing much worse for two reasons. First, Kaepernick purposefully made his protests part of the games by kneeling during the national anthem. His political views were made front and center during the NFL's television product, and it dominated NFL media. The fact that liberal politics invaded a football game alienated many viewers who disagreed with his protest, as well as many viewers who agreed with Kaepernick, but just wanted to watch a football game instead of to receive a lecture on race. Conversely, the entire NBA controversy centered around a singular tweet from an executive's personal account. Watching a basketball game, you wouldn't even know the tweet existed unless you sought it out. Not to mention that China blocks Twitter from its citizens so the offended parties couldn't even read it if they wanted to. With Kaepernick, the NFL tried to police the presentation and content of its product and brand, while with Maury, the NBA is now policing the -the off-the-court private speech of its employees. The second major difference between the controversies is the party applying pressure on each league. While there have been allegiances or allegations of collusion against Kaepernick, It seems likely that each NFL team just independently concluded that a backup quarterback is not worth losing fans over. just doesn't make business sense to anchor 10% of your loyal customers to bring in a politically toxic non-starter, especially when someone like Josh McClown would gladly be your backup without any fan fear until he's 50 years old. But the NBA's pandering to China has little to do with fan reaction. The issue is not that people in China will turn off the NBA if they see Maury's team on their TV sets, The issue is because someone in the NBA said something in favor of the protesters. Chinese state-run TV made it so that Chinese fans couldn't even turn on the NBA games if they wanted to. The NBA is not listening to the voice of its fans. It is taking direct orders from the Communist Party of China. It is like the NBA is voluntarily subjecting itself to China's social credit system, wherein people can lose points if they are caught praying by allowing China to dictate what is said on each and every one of its employees' personal social media feeds. In the end, the difference between the leagues boils down to the fact that NFL adhere to one of the classic tenets of capitalism. When you're in the store, the customer is always right. Unfortunately, with its complete cowardice on China, the NBA adhered to a classic tenet of communism. No matter the time, place, or situation, Xi Jinping is always right. That's Mike or Mitchell Blue writing at The Federalist, 100% correct from start to finish. There's another piece from the same outlet, written by David Harsini, that calls LeBron James a coward. NBA superstar LeBron James says Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey was misinformed and wasn't educated on the situation at hand when he tweeted support of Hong Kong's freedom demonstrations. Morey's sin was sharing an image of a slogan that read, Fight for Freedom, Stand with Hong Kong. Even though the general manager regrettably deleted his tweet, one strongly suspects his grasp of China, where the state is running a re-education camp filled with ungars, is considerably stronger than any of NBA's leading apologists. Only last year, James, a purported champion of social justice, came out in support of former quarterback Colin Kaepernick with the vacuous platitude. I stand with anybody who believes in change. Anyone? Of course, LeBron stand as with most acts of pretend celebrity bravery, resulted in hosannas being thrown at him by the press and, more importantly, never costing him a penny. And that that really is the solid point. And when, when we come back, I want to expound upon that. And here's the preview. We have a total inversion of moral courage in our culture, in American pop culture at this moment. The things that are regarded as brave and courageous. Oh, look at her. Look at him. So brave. So courageous. Oh, oh, I just want to bite my fist and just appreciate it. How courageous he is. Oh, he's really getting after it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Real bravery, real courage, real risk are concepts that modern pop culture and its celebrity is have no familiarity with whatsoever. 651 989 Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. I've said before that, you know, when, but basically whatever the left says, the opposite is true. That's kind of the rule of thumb. And it works in a couple of different ways, both factually, like any claim they make tends to be the opposite of the truth, but also in terms of accusations, when they accuse their opponents of being a certain thing, sexist, racist, homophobic, etc., they actually are the thing they're accusing others of being, certainly bigots. That's a big thing on the left. It's a defining aspect of the left. You can't be a leftist without being a bigot, right? And uh, in a similar sense, there is an inversion of moral courage that is observed in the culture where many of the things, if not all of the things in popular culture in the modern American moment that are regarded as brave and courageous and worthy of applause and adoration and that earn people accolades And attaboys are, in fact, the opposite of courage and require no real courage whatsoever. We're going to talk about it here on Closing Argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We are here 8 to 10 weeknights. Appreciate you being with us. You can be part of the program at 651-989-5855. Brianne, taking those calls and producing the show. You may recall... There was a moment some months back during the height of the Me Too movement when Oprah Winfrey emerged from her cocoon of wherever she spends her time, you know, basking in her own brilliance and moral superiority. She descended from heaven and let her holy feet touch the ground for just a moment at an awards show to speak out on behalf of women everywhere. And she took a position, controversially, against rape. She took a position against rape, and she was applauded and hailed as courageous and brave and put forward seriously in many mainstream publications as a leading contender for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States to run against Donald Trump. We need this kind of courage in the White House. We need somebody who's willing to stand up against rape. Because apparently there's a shortage of them, right? Apparently it takes a lot of courage, a lot of bravery, a lot of gumption to get out there in front of the rape lobby. And really put yourself at risk, right? And this is kind of a model. That moment... The Oprah Winfrey should be president moment, which, you know, died pretty quickly, is pretty indicative of the modern American pop culture consideration, perception of what courage and bravery is. You know, you don't you don't hear too many modern dominant pop culture narratives acknowledging the bravery or courageousness of our men and women in uniform of police of members of the military, of soldiers, of firefighters, that sort of thing. That quaint, old-fashioned, masculine idea of what makes a hero. Get out of here. What makes a hero, didn't you know, is getting up. Here's what it is, because this is what Oprah Winfrey did. It's getting up in front of an audience of sycophants, people who have grown up, nursed on your content, looking up to you as somebody they want to be, people who adore you and worship you and will follow you in any direction you point, getting in front of that group of people at an award show and saying something that nobody in the world disagrees with. That's what courage is, didn't you know? That's what bravery is. And, you know, I, I evoke this because it's very indicative, it's very similar to what's going on with LeBron James right now and with the NBA, where all all of the the areas in which they have chosen to take a stance and to be political and to go out on a limb, quote-unquote, and really take a risk and be courageous and say, you know what? I'm for Black Lives Matter. I'm against police brutality. I hate Donald Trump. Conservatives are bad. Right. These are the things that they regard that are, they're applauded for is, oh, he's so courageous, such courage. But it doesn't cost them anything at all. Just like with Oprah, not only does it not cost them anything, there is zero risk for them saying it. And in fact, it actually boosts their career, it boosts their standing within their social circle it makes them a hotter commodity it makes them more marketable to their own market and so it's the opposite of courage right like it takes zero courage to stand up and say something that costs you nothing risks nothing and actually benefits you and that's where we're at with Hollywood celebrities and sports celebrities and particularly the NBA in the situation with China now when the China situation emerged when Daryl Morey insanely tweeted out, Fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. <sighs> then, come, then here come all the courageous heroes to tell him that he's terrible. To tell him to shut up. To tell him that he doesn't understand the situation going on over there overseas. And that they really do understand because they have shoe contracts. They have Nike contracts. They have viewing contracts with the state-owned communist Chinese media. And there, there's something at stake there. See, when there actually is, like in a situation where actual heroics would be required, where actual courage would be required to say, you know what? I'm going to lose something by saying this, but it needs to be said. I'm going to be worse off on the other side of taking this stance. I'm going to pay a price. I'm taking a risk. That I'm going to lose my position, then I'm going to lose contracts, then I'm going to lose money, then I'm going to lose profit. But I'm standing up on what's right. I'm standing up for what's correct and righteous and moral and true. And so it's worth saying. That's real courage. That's a real hero. And we got none of that in the NBA. Even Daryl Morey doesn't deserve to be hailed along those lines because what did he do he deleted his tweet and how often do you see that right and this is what you know in kind of in line with what we talked about yesterday this is what needs to change on the right and not just on the right because the the right is to talk about the right is to talk about a political affiliation a political side of the of a spectrum Really what I'm talking about here is just normalcy, normal human beings, normal people. And I forget about right versus left. This is just like you're a normal human being with semi-decent regular values. We need to be willing to put our foot down, to stand firmly where we find ourselves and say no, When somebody, when somebody comes up to us, when a lefty gets in our face and says, you shouldn't have said that, you should delete that tweet, you should be canceled, our reaction should be, no, now what? No, I'm not going to back down. Now what? No, I'm not going to shut up. Now what? No, I'm not going to take that back. Now what are you going to do, lefty? What's your next move? Ball's in your court. No, I'm standing firm on the truth. I'm standing firm on what's right. I'm standing firm where morality points me. What's your next move? Coward. Because that's what they are. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Yeah, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be so hard on the NBA and its stakeholders and players like LeBron James, because I can honestly say I have no idea what I would do in their place. I've never had millions of dollars at stake on any question whatsoever. Perhaps I would sell my soul. Perhaps I would sell oppressed people out to a tyrannical communist regime if it meant a decline in my percentage. I don't know. I'll have to get in that situation. I would, I would love to be placed in that situation first, right? I would love to be in the situation where I had to concern myself with whether or not I was going to make as many millions next year as I made this year. But, uh, I, alas, that has not occurred as of yet. So who knows? I, I may be, uh, I may be just as bad as these folks. I guess we'll, we'll find out. God, please test me. Please test me. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM five FM. I, I really shouldn't tempt God like that, because the fact of the matter is, he'll do it. He'll he'll definitely, he loves nothing more. Calling a bluff. Oh, yes. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> it's, that's his a, <laughs> it's his favorite thing to do, to be like, okay, I mean, uh, you asked for it. Here we go. Buckle up. All right, let's talk to Anthony in St. Paul. Welcome to the program.
0: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Dude, that was an awesome monologue. I gotta say, I
1: loved it. That was
0: that was great. That's how, uh, you're starting to sound like a real, uh, crazy right winger, dude. You know that.
1: Thanks. Starting to?
0: So um, <laughs> so, um, actually, something interesting about, uh, this thing right now, this actually affects a lot of different companies. Pretty much anybody that's international, that's connected to China, is being faced with censorship. Like, um, I don't know if you guys know what Blizzard Entertainment is. But yep, yep. They're yep. real big with the with the esports community, and uh, right. yeah, they they just banned a guy that's from like Hong Kong or whatever.
1: And, yeah, uh, the the latest get- story here. I don't know if you've heard it, but the, this was in our stack here from the Epoch Times. The U.S. gaming company Blizzard Entertainment has suspended three more players for expressing support for Hong Kong during an esports competition a week after it triggered public criticism. For punishing actually, the player that you're speaking to, so they, I they've doubled didn't down.
0: Hear that. Yeah, I actually didn't hear it because I was—I uh, just got in the car and your ch- and your show turned on. I was like, oh, sweet. Well, welcome.
1: we haven't talked about it yet, but you know, to your point.
0: Well, I'm re- I'm really happy that you that you found that then um, yeah. because I didn't know how many people knew about it. Also, um, it's just like you were saying, it's just kind of funny how LeBron can come out and say all these all these American political things, and then when asked about China, he's like, oh, that's political, and we don't we don't go there. That's just stupid. Yeah, their souls are sold. Yeah. no joke about it.
1: Now, that's the truth of it, man. I appreciate the call as always, Anthony. Let's talk to uh, Ton from Bloomington. I think I like this comment. Go ahead, Ton.
0: Ah, uh, good evening, Walter. I-, I was just curious. You know, you are mentioning like LeBron James or any of these NBA guys with the millions of dollars they get, and it. you might sell your soul too and oppress these foreign people, but. Aren't these the same people that just a few years ago, wasn't it with the NBA where I heard it was being called modern-day slavery?
1: That rings a very dim bell. Yes, I do recall some comment to that effect. Yes, the NBA, being an NBA player is modern-day chattel slavery, didn't you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I just thought I'd point that out.
1: <laughs> appreciate, uh, appreciate the call back there, Tom. Yeah, listen, I mean, look, there's a reason why they call it remaining grounded, right? And you know there are certain celebrities Chris Pratt comes to mind as an example, and I'm sure there are many others, but he's the one who comes to mind most immediately as somebody who, despite his fame and despite his fortune, has remained grounded. And what do we mean by that? We mean that there's there's still some connection with reality. there's still some some vestige of remembering where you came from and understanding that you can just as quickly fall back down to earth as you ascended through the ranks and it's 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 a very rare quality for somebody who achieves fame and fortune to be able to do that to be able to remain grounded and look i understand why even in the relatively completely obscure context of quote unquote local celebrity right even in the, even, even going back before I had a radio show, going back to being involved with the Tea Party, because Tea Party activists, particularly those of us who achieved a certain level of prominence, there was, there was a type of very select, very particular, very niche celebrity around that association within the Republican Party for a while. It didn't last, but it was there. And even in that context, you got a little bit of a taste of what it was like. And also in observation of other people, right? Because you're, you're rubbing elbows with senators and representatives and gubernatorial candidates and this, that, and the other thing. And so you're getting a look into the mindset of these folks and, and what happens when people get a little bit, when their egos get stroked just a little bit and it doesn't take much because it's our human nature, right? Human nature is such that you don't, you don't need too many people to tell you you're awesome before you're like, yeah, I know. Right. I am awesome. And let me tell you how much, right? But it doesn't take long to get to that point. And it's, it takes a whole lot to knock you back down. And that's what this whole NBA fiasco really demonstrates that we're dealing with people and celebrity generally. And again, there are a few exceptions. Don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. But celebrity generally really brings out the worst in human nature, the worst in presumptions of one's own moral superiority. And uh, you see that with LeBron James. And it's deeply unfortunate. I wanted to share with you this quote. This is one of the things that kind of fell by the wayside over the course of the past couple of weeks or so from Ayn Rand. She said, We are fast approaching the stage of the ultimate inversion, the stage where the government is free to do anything it pleases while the citizens may act only by permission, which is the stage of the darkest periods of human history, the stage of rule by brute force. Now, she wrote that several decades ago, but boy, is it ever apropos today. That is most indeed where we find ourselves you got to ask permission, but the state can do whatever it so feels. Twin Cities News Talk, M 1130, 103.5 FM. One more hour to go here, 8 to 10 weeknights, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. just gonna be honest with you I went through that whole break without even thinking about what I was gonna talk about next so it's an adventure in this first segment here in the nine o'clock hour. closing argument my name's is Walter Hudson Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 1035 FM <laughs> really tells you how comfortable I've become in this role right like I remember when I started it was oh, 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 what's happening am I gonna have enough time am I gonna know what to say now it's like oh I gotta talk now okay fine whatever Turn on the mic, maybe. Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com, your iHeartRadio app. We're here eight to ten weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. 651-989-5855, the number to do so. Brian, taking your calls and producing the show. Fear not, I do have topics. I just didn't have them properly organized going into this segment. From CNN Business, two years ago, Target said it would raise its minimum wage to $15 an hour by the end of 2020 the move won praise from labor, ad, labor advocates and put pressure on other companies to also move to $15 I remember us talking about this story when it came out and I pointed out at the time you know it's, it's really easy actually I think it was McDonald's who made an announcement along these lines of like mm, mm, we're, we are upping our wages to $15 an hour aren't we awesome And I pointed out at the time, yeah, it's because you're replacing your workers with kiosks. A move which I wholeheartedly endorse, by the way. I love those kiosks. Those kiosks are fantastic. I want to get to the point where it's entirely robotic and I never have to interact with another human being ever again. But setting that aside, you're not really going back to our conversation about courage last hour. You're not really putting yourself out there. You're not really crossing any sort of moral, laudable lines when you're not putting anything on the line. You're actually benefiting yourself to be able to pay your remaining employees $15 an hour. And there's something very similar going on here with Target. Some store workers say the wage increases are not helping because their hours are falling making it difficult to keep their health insurance and, in some cases, to pay their bills. CNN Business interviewed 23 current and former Target employees in recent months, including department managers, who say hours have been scaled back even as Target has increased starting wages. Many of these workers say the cuts, which come as Target's business, is in its strongest position in more than a decade, have hurt them financially. CNN Business agreed to withhold the last names of several of the current employees and the city where their store is located so they could speak freely. I got a dollar raise, but I'm getting $200 less in my paycheck, said one named Heather, who started in November at a Florida store working around 40 hours a week. She's now below 20-some hours a week. She said, I have no idea how I'm going to pay for rent or buy food. Hours for workers in retail are notoriously unpredictable and often depend on the season or how well stores are performing. But in the retail industry, the average hourly work week has dropped for employees this year compared with a year earlier, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Beyond just a drop in earnings that target workers who spoke with CNN Business have experienced, employees who average fewer than 30 hours a week during the year aren't eligible to qualify for health insurance benefits, through the company during an annual enrollment season in the spring target offers health insurance benefits to eligible employees who average more than 30 hours a week. According to the company target does not publicly disclose other requirements to qualify for health insurance benefits. Target worked me hard from mid July in 2018 to February of 2019, right before my medical coverage was about to kick in said Karen Morales, a former target employee in diamond bar, California. She was averaging around 35 to 40 hours a week. She said, And got a letter from the company in February with information about how to sign up for health insurance benefits. They cut my hours right then. And so I begged for hours that always went above and beyond. She quit in May after her hours plummeted to as little as 15 a week. I called in on May 1st and said, I can't come in today or ever again because I can't afford my daughter's daycare. You guys cut me really bad, Morales said. Now, what are the takeaways that we ought to derive from this story, kind of in line with what we talked about last hour with the NBA. It's really, really important for us to perceive and derive from this that the the, the virtue signaling, the corporate virtue signaling of "um, mm, we raised our minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour" is complete BS. It's totally fake. They didn't raise – the. Here's, here's the reason that I feel totally comfortable saying with eh, 95% certainty. The reason why Target raised their minimum wage that they pay to $15 an hour wasn't because they care about their workers, right? I mean, obviously, as these anecdotes suggest, you know, you got somebody who uh, presumably – you know, they were willing to give her 35, 40 hours a week for a certain period of time up until she was just about to qualify for health insurance benefits. And then they started to cut her hours. Unless that's a pretty big coincidence, right? You would have to demonstrate to me that there was some other mitigating circumstance that explains why you suddenly cut her hours other than it was going to cost you more to continue to employ her at that number of hours per week. Obviously, you don't care about her, right? So why did they raise their wages to $15 an hour? The answer is obvious, virtue signaling. It was a piece of marketing. They did it so that they could advertise that they had done it, not because they actually care about their workers. Now, let's back up a step here. Because the 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 presumption here, the unspoken presumption that undergirds or underlies this entire debate over the minimum wage is that companies like target properly ought to quote unquote care about their workers. Well, here's what I would argue. I would argue that no company anywhere ever in the history of mankind has ever cared about its workers. That's not what companies do, that's not why companies exist. Companies exist for one reason and one reason only. And that is to produce profit for their owners, for their stockholders. Oh, how evil. Oh, how heartless. Oh, how callous. Well, maybe. Look, look, I'll grant you. Heartless, callous, careless, however you want to characterize it. The fact of the matter is that doesn't change in a a given economic context. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with a company that is working in a purely free market with no government intervention and no cultural expectation of corporate caring. It doesn't matter whether it's that circumstance or you're dealing with the modern American mixed economy where we have this bizarre expectation that a corporation is going to exhibit anthropomorphic qualities like love and caring for the individuals who are employed by it. Either way, they're going to behave the same way either way, whatever the whatever their, the circumstances are, they're going to chase that profit motive. And so in this circumstance target in, in order to chase profit, that's, that was their motivation because that's always the motivation, their motivation in increasing their wages to $15 an hour was as a piece of marketing to promote, commerce, to gain customers, to gain market share, to make money. That was their motivation, right? And so what they did was they they had a trade-off of, well, we're going to raise our employee wages to $15 an hour so that we can go out and say, we pay our employees $15 an hour. But then they made other choices, cutting people's hours, hiring more people at less hours in order to mitigate that cost so that they were actually able to maintain and even expand their profit. So the, the real takeaway from this ought to be that if you genuinely, if you sincerely, if you actually care about the worker, if you actually care about people being able to pursue their happiness, then you ought to push for a society and a culture which respects self-interest and which values profit and merit and rewards production. Because in that context, people might get paid less per hour, particularly to start at a company. But those who exhibit those like Karen Morales in diamond bar, California, who exhibit their merit and exhibit their worth and are loyal and productive and prove themselves to be good employees are going to be rewarded with more hours, more benefits, and more opportunities because the company is going to want to retain them. See, what we're doing with all of this this minimum wage nonsense is we're pricing people out of the market. And not just individual people. There's a lot of talk about, and, and we've engaged in it here, a lot of talk along the lines of you're pricing out teenagers who are looking for their first job in high school. And that's true. Or you're pricing out low skilled workers who are just trying to, to get those first couple of rungs on the ladder of the, their, their career overcome. And that's true. Absolutely. But you are also suppressing the, the entire working class. You know how hard it is to go out there and find a job right now. I know I'm not supposed to say this because I'm a conservative talk radio host and Donald Trump is president of the United States. But forgive me, if you will. Sure, you could find a job, but I'm talking about a job. I'm talking about something that you could actually rely upon, something that you can, that you know you're going to have five years from now that's going to pay the bills, pay your mortgage, put your kids through school, put you in a good position, allow you to, to, to build up an emergency fund and actually advance yourself to some degree or another. You know how hard it is to find a job that will get you there right now? If you haven't been out there in a little while, if you find yourself pretty secure in the last 10, 15, 20 years, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. But those of you who have had to look for a job in the last 5, 10 years, you know exactly what I'm talking about, how hard it is to find something that's actually going to work. And for an increasing number of people, you know, there's this thing called the gig economy, right? The gig economy is things like Uber, DoorDash, Grubhub, you know there are other things you could point to the idea that you're going to do, you're going to do a job here, you're going to do a job there, you're going to log into an app and you're going to run something run people, run packages, run food in order to make a few extra bucks and what you have is you have people who don't have one job. They don't even have two. They've got three or four or five. They've got so many different things going on and that that you know, it's no longer and to the to the lefts if you if you find yourself to be a lefty and you're somebody who's really vested in the whole idea of how great labor unions are and, hey, we brought you the weekend, we brought you the 40-hour work week. Well, no, you didn't because nobody's working that anymore. People are working 60 hours, they're working 70 hours, they're working 80 hours, they're working 100 hours. And uh, none of their employees know about it because they're they're threading the needle. When they get off from one job, they're going to work another. And when they're done with the second job, they're logging into Uber or DoorDash or whatever in order to make an extra 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks. And the reason for that is because the in 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 order to make themselves feel better about themselves, the left has pushed for policies that have made it economically unviable to employ full-time people at a good wage with good benefits. And to, and to facilitate keeping them long-term. It has become too expensive to employ people in the United States of America. Thank you, lefties. And to a person, every single member of that Democratic debate presidential stage, up there earlier this week, to a person, they want to make the problem worse. They want to increase the stories like those of Karen Morales in California where she works hard, she does what she can, but then her hours get cut because the company doesn't want to pay for the latest state-mandated scheme that's going to make her employment no longer viable for them. 651-989-5855, closing argument. My name's Walter in Twin Cities you Talk. Back. kanye west i'll tell you you know there's a guy who i described the whole process of of how celebrities can fall into the trap of believing that they're actually awesome like everyone around them tells them i don't think kanye west needed anybody to tell him that he was awesome he kind of came in hot knowing that and that's that's kind of actually a little bit of a secret to his success every once in a while You do find those people who are somehow able to surf their own ego into a career, (laughs) into popularity, into achievement. Kanye West seems to be one of those. But there's a recent story regarding his marriage and his relationship with his wife, Kim Kardashian, that I found very interesting. Very interesting indeed, and uh, sympathetic even. found myself sympathizing with Kanye West. Closing argument, my name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. Kanye West confronted his wife, this comes to us from the Daily Wire, reality TV star Kim Kardashian over her sexy outfits during a recent episode of E's Keeping Up with the Kardashians. West explained to Kardashian that while he used to think his wife should look like other girls who constantly show off their bodies, he now realizes that Kardashian's revealing looks are negatively affecting his soul and spirit. That's the quote, affecting his soul and spirit. West sparked the conversation while Kardashian was gearing up for the Met Gala. The 38-year-old's nude-colored wet dress was comprised of a corset and plunging v-neck exposing much of her breasts. The corset, underwear, all that vibe, I just feel like I went through this transition from being a rapper, looking at all these girls, and then looking at my wife like, oh, my girl needs to be just like these other girls, showing her body off, showing this, showing that, Wes told his wife during, according to BuzzFeed. I didn't realize that it was affecting my soul and my spirit as someone that's married and loved the father of what's about to be our four kids, he continued. He continued. A corset is a form of underwear. It's hot. It's like, that's hot for who, though? Right? I, Brianne. His ne- <laughs> she says his next album's going to be a gospel one. That's actually true. That actually is true.
0: Yes.
1: It's good. Yeah. We might be, listen, this might be a, a Saul on the road to Damascus moment. We might be witnessing the birth of a of a new Christian soul here in Kanye West. I don't want to jump the gun. But he's certainly indicating that direction. Now, here's why I find this interesting because this is something that I think for, for both men and women, this is, I I think, something that if you're, if you're lucky, you come to this realization at some point in your life. And the luckier you are, the more blessed you are, the earlier you will come to this realization. There is so much value. In privacy. In, what's the word? I can't even think of the word. This is embarrassing. Modesty? Modesty, yes. Wow. It just goes to show. You don't show. hear it enough. No, you don't. It just goes to show where we're at as a culture. I'm like, what was that word? Ma, 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 me. Mm, mm, mm. Modesty. Ma, modesty. Yes, modesty. <laughs> that archaic concept. <laughs> there's such value in it and the value the value is not here's here's what let let me play devil's advocate quite literally here's what the world will tell you about modesty it's the repression of women it's the repression it's it's the patriarchy it's holding women down keeping them from being who they really are and the ultimate manifestation of this is the the criticism of so-called slut shaming don't you dare put somebody down for their sexual behavior or indicate that they ought to behave in any way other than that which their whims direct them towards well i'll tell you what there's a certain look if your point is that people shouldn't be going around trying to control other people's lives just for the sake of controlling them then i'm with you right that's 100 correct I don't want to live in a repressive society where people are forced to be modest. On the other hand, we have lost the baby with the bathwater here. We have gotten to a point where the where the value of modesty has been completely flushed away along in, in a supposed effort to push back against patriarchal repression and the result is is that women, unfortunately, in many cases, have nothing of any exclusive value or very little of any exclusive value to provide to their husbands. Their husbands can have it, but everybody else has seen it, right? Their husbands can have it, but, you know, it really kind of belongs to the Internet. It's out there for everybody, right? And that is a loss that is permanent, and you're never going to get it back. And I, I, I understand and feel what Kanye is saying here when he says it's, it's, it hurts his soul to know. Because presumably, hopefully, he actually loves Kim Kardashian. Now, I don't know enough about Kim Kardashian to, to know how marvelous that fact may or may not be. I haven't really followed her too closely. But I'll take him at his word. He loves her. She's his wife. And he should love her as his wife. And he's looking at her and he's thinking to himself, man, like, that's that's for me. Shouldn't that be for me? Why is she showing it to everybody else? And he's right to feel that way. He should feel that way. And on her end as well, because this is not just about men and how men feel and what it does to men's souls. It's also about women. Like, when when you give that up, When you put it on display in that manner, then you're you're cheapening yourself. You're cheapening yourself. This used to be something that went without saying, something that was understood when it was said. Now people are, oh, how dare you? How could you possibly say that? Oh, you're you're telling women they can't be who they are? No, they could be who they are. What I'm suggesting is who are you? (laughs) Who are you? I'm asking you who are you if this is what you feel comfortable doing. Who do you want to be? What do you want to be in the future? You know, what, what do you want to be remembered for? Because I got to tell you right now, and, you know, this is a particular value, I imagine, to attractive people, male or female. The thing you have, you know, that body of yours that gets you so much attention, there's nothing special about it there's there's there 's thousands of other people with attractive bodies who are willing to flaunt them, and so you 're just getting lost in the sea of it you just you you become a page in an in increasingly endless catalogue of options and objects, and there 's no value there and Then here comes your spouse, the one person. The one person on earth more than any other, more than your parents, more than your siblings, more than your best friend in the world. Here comes your spouse, the one person who truly values you for who you are and what you have left for them. Giving it all away. I understand where Kanye is coming from, and I can remain hopeful that uh, his expression here catches on. Not too hopeful, but hopeful. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk. AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. I'm going to take a point of uh, personal privilege here on the program to talk about my in-laws, specifically my father-in-law my mother-in-law. And don't worry it comes back to a relevant point. I'm not just, you know, going to tell you about my family with no with no real punchline. There's a point to this. My my father-in-law and my mother-in-law have been on a month-long European trip, very long in the making, very highly anticipated. This is kind of his his pre-retirement extravaganza. He's very much been looking forward to it and they've been documenting it on social media. I just saw like their cumulative post because they're coming home tomorrow. They kind of their cumulative post of like 50 pictures, which I'm not the type of person who's going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to start thumbing through all 50 of them. But apparently that's 50 out of 5,000 that have been taken. 5,000 pictures. At some point, I know I'm going to look at all 5,000 of those pictures. At some point, and uh, I just I really appreciate the fact that th- this trip has been so instructive for all of us for the entire family, because it's it's made us all realize. And you know, it's it's me, my wife, we have two kids. Her sister has a couple of kids, and there there are aunts and other extended family members. And we're all kind of one big clan. We do everything together. We spend a lot of, we spend all of our, our summer weekends together at the cabin and what have you. And so it's one big happy clan. And uh, this is kind of the, the, they're kind of the patriarch and matriarch, my father in law and mother in law. For them to leave for a month to be on the, literally on the other side of the planet has been, it's, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 41 years old. And her sister's the same age, so it's not like we're not kids, but we feel like teenage kids whose mom and dad left, and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to pay the bills <laughs> we don't know we don't know where the fuse box is, right like it's not quite that bad, but it feels that bad we've We've come to realize how much we very much depend upon them, their presence, their wisdom their guidance and here's the point that's relevant to you the reason why i'm i'm sharing this why i'm bringing it up there's a real lack of value for i don't i don't dare use the word elders <laughs> i don't dare use the word elders but there's a real lack of value for experience that's a good one for experience in our culture and particularly the further along we get in the debate over health care and issues of of uh, care and, and what have you, the more devalued human life gets at the extremes, whether you're talking about the very young, the unborn, or uh, those who are approaching the end of life. And, of course, my in-laws are nowhere near there. But be it as it may, there's there's a, there are a lot of people out there who get depressed because they feel as though the older they get the the less valuable they are, the less they have to offer, the less they have to contribute. My experience has been, not just with my in-laws, but with many others, including other elder members of the family, is that the inverse is true. That there is invaluable experience, invaluable contribution, invaluable history and wisdom to draw upon and rely upon and when it's gone, even just momentarily, even for a vacation, the loss is deeply felt. And so I I, I, put, I share that with the intent of being of encouragement to those of you out there who may be thinking, man, I'm past my prime, right? I, I have I have so little to offer now. I'm over the hill. I'm in retirement, and I don't know what to do. You know what to do. And those around you know you're valuable. So, closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We are here 8 to 10 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. 651-989-5855 is the number to be part of the program. Brianne takes those calls and produces the show. You know, another interesting thing about about you know, when people become grandparents, and I'm glad that I know this now long before I will. I'm a, I'm a solid, I don't want to jinx myself but i'd like to think i'm a solid what would we say reasonably here 15 years away from being a grandparent you know like if everything goes according to plan 15 years (laughs) if if it goes very far from that either one way or the other something went terribly wrong but regardless I'm glad I know this now. Long before this moment comes, that you know, people people anticipate the whole empty nest thing. People anticipate, well, you know, once the kids leave the house, then we're really going to get down to living, right? Then we're finally going to start doing things that we want to do. We're going to go on vacations. We're gonna we're gonna hang out together. Our lives are going to be all about us. Yeah, you think that, and then the first grandkid comes and then the second and the third and the fourth and you end up in the same mess you were in for the first part of your marriage just with the next generation and you're loving every moment of it right and so you know again just just a little encouragement for people as they're moving along the uh, this road of life that it it only gets better it's only additive right up until uh, the the last moments that God grants you here on this earth all right let's talk about let's switch from that very uplifting then I then I had to look at my stories. <laughs> I had to look at my headlines and be like, oh, geez, Oh, man. Let's look at Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, that's a hard shift, I know. From the Epoch Times, Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke said on Wednesday that police officers would go to the homes of people who refused to comply with his proposed law banning AR-15s and AK-47s if it was put into place and seize... The banned weapons, gun grabbing. You know there used there was once a point at which the the gun grabber moniker could be credibly objected to as hyperbole. I'm not talking about grabbing your. We're not looking to confiscate. We're not going to go door to door and take your weapons. Well, that was yesterday. Today. A prominent contender for the Democratic Party's nomination for president is saying, oh, no, we are coming after your AR-15s and your AK-47s. We are going to go door to door and seize your weapons. O'Rourke said during the Tuesday debate that people who don't comply with the law, which is thought by some to be an infringement of the Second Amendment, would have their weapons taken away from them, but stopped short of saying law enforcement officers would visit houses to seize the firearms. How else would it happen? I, by what other mechanism who are you going to send then if not the cops if someone does not turn in an ar-15 or an ak-47 one of these weapons of war or brings it out in public and brandishes it in an attempt to intimidate as we saw when we were at kent state recently then that weapon will be taken from them if they persist there will be other consequences from law enforcement or work said you know it's it's fascinating isn't it And this is something, when we had our gun conversation with Nathan, Pastor Nathan Roberts and his guest, Michael Chan, on Tuesday, this is a question I wanted to get around to but never quite did, which is, how are you going to enforce your gun regulations? Like, ultimately, if because what you're telling me is how much you don't believe in guns, right? How terrible guns are, how terrible force is. But how are you ultimately going to enforce your gun restrictions? Like, you're going to have to send guys with guns to enforce your gun rules, right? So, you know, this is kind of the the ultimate hypocrisy in the gun control argument, is that it's really not about, it's not against guns. It's not a position that's against guns. It's a position against you having a gun. It's actually a very, gun control is an extraordinarily pro-gun position. They're for guns in the possession of the state. They have to be, because there's no other way that their policies could ever be enforced. You You can't just offer the suggestion that everybody turn in their weapons. No, you actually have to have men with guns, with superior force, showing up to people's homes and forcing them to turn them over, resulting in violence. Which you know, where the left is going to be then, when people are 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 dying in confrontations with law enforcement, is there going to be a uh, you know, Black Lives Matter equivalent to ring hands and him and haw over the tragedy and the abuse and the the power dynamic in play at that time? Probably not. Six five one nine eight nine five eight five five. Closing argument. My name is Walter Atzen. Twin Cities News Talk. The Epoch Times reports that the Senate didn't get enough votes to override President Donald Trump's veto of a resolution that, if it had gone through, would have ended the emergency declaration that included an order to use national security funds to build the wall at the southern border. The vote on Thursday was 53 to 36. Ten Republicans sided with Democrats in voting to try to override the veto. Roy Blunt of Missouri, Susan Collins of Maine, Mike Lee of Utah, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Rob Portman of Ohio, Mitt Romney of Utah, Marco Rubio of Florida, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania and Roger Wicker of Mississippi. You know, the interesting thing about that list of 10 Republicans who sided with Democrats to try to override this veto for funding the wall with national security funds is that this is not a this is not a a bunch that is aligned ideologically, right? you don't typically find Rand Paul on the same side of an issue as Roy Blunt or Susan Collins or Mitt Romney for that matter, or marco Rubio so there's there's definitely a spectrum of opposition to this within the Republican Party, nonetheless, Trump vetoed an identical resolution from the House on in March fifteenth the day after the Senate approved that resolution fifty nine to forty one Today, I am vetoing this resolution, Trump said. Congress has the freedom to pass this resolution, and I have a duty to veto it. He called it reckless and dangerous. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring this up on the program is because it reminds me of the point that I took us out with last night regarding iron and clay, the mixture of iron and clay. And this comes from the imagery in Daniel chapter 2 of the prophetic dream by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon as interpreted via Daniel and there's this image of the 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 statue representing various empires throughout the the eras and the feet were made of a mixture of iron and clay and one interpretation of this is that the Roman empire which it, of course, was the the great world power at the time that that Christ's first coming occurred was weakened by its mixture of, on the one hand, being a strong military force, the iron, but also incorporating within it the refugees of its own conquering of its own conquests across the world, bringing people back in and mixing those cultures in such a way as to weaken the overall integrity of the of the empire ultimately leading to its decline and you know there's something to be said about that you know when we have this debate about immigration i have said and i maintain that in a perfect world in an ideal world we would have much looser immigration rules because we would have a society that was structured around the concept of individual rights and the only way to thrive here you wouldn't need to have walls and fences and moats and rivers and borders and mountains to keep people out what would keep the wrong type of person out is the fact that you can't survive here without making it on your own merit right that's the that's the way it was in the beginning that you know our our founding fathers the pilgrims the first people to set foot on these shores from across the pond they came here with nothing and with no guarantees and the only way they were going to both survive and then thrive is through their own productive capacity. And they knew that going into it. And that, that quality, that pioneering spirit is something that was a fundamental definitive aspect of wave after wave of immigrants for much of this nation's history. But that's not the case anymore because we have this welfare state. And because we have this culture of grievance that feeds on the the needs of newcomers. And that's why the left is so eager to bring in as many people as they possibly can to try to consume them and incorporate them and, and feed this culture of grievance and disparity and to, to lay claim against the, the haves. And to lay claim against the American culture in order to change it from within. It's the mixture of the iron and the clay. And that is extraordinarily problematic and something that there is rightful concern about. And ultimately, you know, I don't, I don't view the, the building of the wall or any other sort of immigration restriction as the, the ultimate long term permanent solution to this problem. The long term permanent solution is cultural. You know, the, the, as, as it stands, we're trying to build a wall around the iron and the clay, which isn't necessarily going to make us any stronger long-term. What we need to do is purify our culture, which doesn't involve excluding people from certain backgrounds or certain origins, but it means maintaining and and propagating and valuing and lifting up the principle of individual rights, the founding principles of this nation, the, the value of productivity and objective morality and the pursuit of happiness and those American, those exceptional American values that def- uniquely define our nation. Other nations are defined by color of skin and where you were born and what religion you are and all other sorts of irrelevant demographics. Our nation is defined by that idea, the idea that here you can be whatever you're capable of achieving. Here you can keep the fruit of your labor and invest it and build upon it and build a better life for yourself and future generations. You can do that here. And so long as you believe that, I care not what God you worship or the color of your skin or what nation you come from or what your sexual orientation is. That's not the clay. The clay isn't the the cornucopia, the the rainbow spectrum of ethnicities and beliefs. The clay is the old, ancient, evil belief that might makes right. That you ought to subordinate the individual to the collective. That's what needs to go. Eight to ten weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.